0: New York, this is Democracy Now!
1: South Africa
0: purports to come
1: to this court in the lofty position of a guardian of the interest of humanity. But in delegitimizing Israel's 75-year existence in its opening presentation yesterday, that broad commitment to humanity rang hollow.
0: Israel defends itself against accusations of genocide at the International Court of Justice in the second day of historic hearings. We'll go to The Hague to speak with Raji Sarani, the renowned Palestinian human rights attorney whose own home was bombed in Gaza. And we'll speak with an Israeli Jewish Knesset member calling Israel's assault on Gaza a genocide. But first, in a move many fear could trigger a broader regional war, the U.S. and Britain bombed Yemen repeatedly last night.
2: This represents an escalation to the ongoing war in Yemen, which started in 2015. Um, The U.S. had been bombing Yemen essentially through Saudi Arabia and the UAE. But of course, uh, the causes are different. The reasons are different this time. But it represents the same policy of escalation and resorting to bombing rather than ceasefire and diplomacy.
0: We'll get the latest, all that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. The United States and Britain have launched dozens of strikes from the Aran Sea targeting Yemen in a move many fear could trigger a broader regional war. At least five people were killed. The strikes targeted areas in Yemen controlled by Houthi forces who've been attacking Israeli-linked ships in the Red Sea to protest Israel's bombardment of Gaza. So far, the Houthis have not killed anyone aboard the ships, but the group's actions have disrupted a key global. Global trade route. In a statement, President Biden said, quote, "...these targeted strikes are a clear message that the United States and our partners will not tolerate attacks on our personnel or allow hostile actors to imperil freedom of navigation," unquote. President Biden is the fourth U.S. president in a row to bomb Yemen. Houthi officials have vowed to retaliate against the strikes and continued targeting Israeli-linked ships in the Red Sea until a ceasefire in Gaza is declared."
3: We say to all
4: countries, to Asian countries like China and others, we say to European countries in the West, we say to everyone in the world, there is no problem for you to transverse and pass through the Red Sea. The only targets exclusively are ships linked to Israel.
0: The Houthis, who control parts of Yemen, are seen as a member of the Iranian-backed Axis of Resistance, a loose-knit group of forces in the region that also include Hamas and Hezbollah. Meanwhile, in Washington, President Biden's facing pushback from some lawmakers for bombing Yemen without congressional approval. In a message on social media, Congressmember Rashida Tlaib said the president's violating Article 1 of the Constitution. She went on to say, quote, "...the American people are tired of endless war." At the International Court of Justice in The Hague, Israel rejected claims by South Africa that it's committing genocide against Palestinians. On Thursday, South Africa demanded an emergency suspension of Israel's aerial and ground assault on Gaza, which it said was intended to bring about, quote, the destruction of the population of the territory. Earlier today in court, Israel accused South Africa of distorting the situation in Gaza.
1: If there have been acts that may be characterized as genocidal, then they have been perpetrated against Israel. If there is a concern about the obligations of states under the Genocide Convention, then it is in relation to their responsibilities to act against Hamas's proudly declared agenda of annihilation.
0: On Thursday, pro-Palestinian rallies were held in South Africa as the ICJ began hearings. Many South Africans praised their government for supporting the people of Gaza.
5: South Africa is very brave to have done what it's done, and I'm hoping that this does not work against us as a a country, but really it works to ensure that uh, Palestine, the people of Palestine, get the justice that they deserve.
0: In more news on Gaza, the NGO Save the Children says more than 10,000 Palestinian children have been killed by Israel's assault. That's one percent of the total child population in Gaza. At least 1,000 children have lost one or both limbs. This comes as doctors warn conditions inside Gaza's remaining hospitals continue to deteriorate amidst Israeli attacks and dwindling supplies.
1: Today the area around Al-Aqsa was hit, all ambulances were destroyed. We even started to run out of medical supplies, and sadly we have cases we can't do anything about. We have nothing to offer, so we feel completely helpless. This is very sad and bad, to be honest. We hope that any side will be able to at least ensure the ability for the medical staff to work.
0: The Intercept has obtained documents suggesting the U.S. Air Force sent officers to Israel in November to help provide intelligence, including satellite data, to help Israel pick targets to bomb in Gaza. The document from November 21st references the deployment of an air defense liaison team to Israel. Craig McIber, a former U.N. official who resigned over the war in Gaza, said the Intercept's report is, quote, more evidence of U.S. compliance complicity in genocide. Here in New York, Donald Trump's $370 million civil fraud trial wrapped up Thursday with Trump insulting the judge overseeing the case and accusing New York Attorney General Letitia James of persecuting him, saying she should pay him for what he called a political witch hunt. As the extraordinary courtroom scene unfolded, Judge Arthur N. who had denied Trump's request to deliver his own closing statement, instructed his lawyer to, quote, Control your client. Attorney General James spoke to reporters outside the courthouse.
6: This is our um, last day in our case against Donald Trump for persistent and repeated fraud, illegality. This case has never been about politics or personal vendetta or about name calling. This case is about the facts. And the law. And Mr. Donald Trump violated the law. And as you know, the judges already found
0: that he, in fact, violated the law for repeated fraud over a period of years. In Ohio, a grand jury has refused to indict a woman who was charged with felony abuse of a corpse after having a miscarriage at home. 34-year-old Brittany Watts was then treated in a hospital where a nurse called the police after Watts said she had to dispose of the contents of her miscarriage. She was criminally charged two weeks later. She'd been refused abortion care prior to her miscarriage. Brittany Watts spoke to supporters at a rally Thursday.
7: I want to thank my community, Warren. Warren, Ohio. I was born here, I was raised here, I graduated high school here, and I'm going to continue to stay here, because I have to continue to fight.
0: The Abortion Fund for Ohio said, quote, we're grateful for today's decision, but remain livid at the circumstances that brought us here. Ohioans, especially black women, fear for their lives and freedom during pregnancy, pregnancy loss, and abortion. It's unacceptable. We deserve so much better, and we demand it, they said. The Federal Aviation Administration has launched an investigation into Boeing and whether the company failed to ensure its 737 MAX 9 planes were safe following last week's incident in which a cabin panel blew off during an Alaska Airlines flight, causing the cabin to depressurize. The FAA has since grounded the MAX 9 pending inspection of the aircraft. Meanwhile, passengers from Alaska Airlines Flight 1282 have sued Boeing for injuries sustained during the ordeal. In related news, the lever is reporting Republican presidential hopeful former Boeing board member Nikki Haley helped quash a proposal to compel Boeing to be more transparent about its spending. The measure sought to uncover whether Boeing's lobbying led to more lax regulations in the wake of two major crashes in 2018 and 2019 in Indonesia and Ethiopia, which killed all 346 people on board. The Pentagon's inspector general says the Pentagon has failed to track some $1 billion in military equipment provided to Ukraine for its fight against Russia's invasion. The weapons in question include javelins, stinger missiles, night vision devices, and one-way attack drones. This comes, as the White House said Thursday, U.S. support for Ukraine, quote, has now ground to a halt, unquote, amid stalled negotiations over a new funding package that congressional Republicans are demanding be conditioned on further militarizing the U.S.-Mexico border. In Taiwan, voters are preparing to cast ballots Saturday in a high-stakes presidential and parliamentary election that's being closely watched by China and the United States. Three candidates are in a tight race to succeed President Tsai Ing-wen, who is not eligible to run again after serving her two four-year terms. The election could help decide whether Taiwan continues to assert its autonomy and strengthen ties to the U.S., moves closer to China, or takes what one candidate calls a middle path. And a retrial is underway on the Greek island of Lesbos for 16 rescue workers who helped save the lives of refugees who crossed the Mediterranean Sea in 2015 and 16. Greek authorities have accused the aid workers of crimes, including espionage, and what's been slammed as the criminalization of humanitarian work. Just this week, at least three migrants died after their boat sank off Lesbos. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. The United States and Britain launched dozens of military strikes on Yemen on Thursday night, raising fears of an escalation of conflict in the region. The strikes were carried out from land and sea and targeted areas controlled by the Houthi rebels, leaving at least five people dead. The U.S. says the strikes came in response to the Houthi attacks on ships in the Red Sea to protest Israel's assault on Gaza. President Joe Biden called the strikes, quote, a clear message that the United States and our partners will not tolerate attacks on our personnel or allow hostile actors to imperil freedom of navigation, unquote, calling the strikes barbaric The Houthis said the group will continue targeting ships heading towards Israel and that the strikes, quote, will not go unanswered and unpunished, unquote. At least four oil tankers have diverted course from the Red Sea following the overnight attack. Yemen's been targeted by U.S. military action and bombings over the last four American presidencies of George W. Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, now Joe Biden. For more, we're joined by Shireen Al Adimi. She's a Yemeni American assistant professor at Michigan State University, a non resident fellow at the Quincy Institute, joining us from East Lansing, Michigan. Professor Al Adimi, we thank you for being with us. Can you first respond to the British U.S. attacks on Yemen last night?
2: Thanks for having me, Amy. These attacks are not unexpected. The U.S. has resorted to violence and bombardment in the past. Certainly, they've been part of the coalition that has supported the, that has bombed Yemen and um, enforced a blockade, a naval and air blockade for the past several years since 2015. So this represents, I think, a continuation of that policy of escalation, a policy of resorting to violence and bombardment rather than doing what, most American people have been asking President Biden to do, which is ceasefire, calling for a ceasefire in Palestine against uh, the people of Gaza and um, making sure that, you know, the people of Gaza don't have to pay the price for the actions of Hamas on October 7th. And so I think instead of working with the Israeli um, government to... And what South Africans and others are calling genocide against the Palestinian people, we just see an escalation of of hostilities in that region.
0: Can you talk about what the Houthis are doing in the Red Sea? What ships are they going after and what has this meant for Trey there?
2: So they are controlling Bab el mendeb Strait, which approximately 13% of global shipping goes through. So anything going through um, Europe, through the Red Sea, goes through Bab el mendeb before it gets to Sina and the other way around as well. And they have been targeting any ships that are headed toward Israel, either Israeli ships or ships that are targeted headed towards Israel, and they've been very clear about why they're doing this. They're doing this in support of Palestine, in support of the people of Gaza, and they have repeatedly said that um, all of these attacks toward these ships that are either Israeli or going towards Israel will stop once the Israelis stop their war in Gaza and specifically actually preventing the food and medicine from entering Gaza. So essentially uh, using a naval blockade in the Red Sea to prevent the blockade against civilians in Gaza. Um, There's also, last week they announced that this was also in accordance with their obligations under genocide prevention, Article 1 of genocide prevention, which says that states should have an obligation to prevent genocide. Um, and so that's what the Houthis have been saying. That's what Ansarullah have been saying. And um, the U.S. has mobilized troops in the region to defend um, shipping, global shipping, essentially, and uh, specifically the Israeli economy. So they, uh, the the um, the coalition they put together, I think it's called Operation Prosperity Guardian. Um, and so we have more troops, more U.S. Uh, presence in the region in the last few weeks in order to protect the waters from these Hoki attacks.
0: I wanted to talk about the response in Britain and the United States. Um, responding to the attack, U.S. Congressmember Ro Khanna, uh, who represents Silicon Valley, California, um, in Congress, said on social media, Biden needs to come to Congress before launching a strike against the Houthis in Yemen and involving us in another Middle East conflict. That's Article 1 of the Constitution. I will stand up for that regardless— um, of whether a Democrat or a Republican is in the White House. Section 2C of the War Powers Act is clear. POTUS may only introduce the U.S. into hostilities after congressional authorization or in a national emergency when the U.S. is under imminent attack. Reporting is not a substitute. This is a retaliatory offensive strike. Of course, POTUS is the president of the United States. And similarly— Rishi Sunak, the prime minister of Britain, is facing opposition, questioning, demanding he come before um, the British Parliament to explain why he did this without authorization. Professor Adimi, your response?
2: Absolutely. There are laws that prevent U.S. presidents from, I mean, the entire con- the Constitution itself, and of course the War Powers Act of 1973, they prevent presidents from just going and launching airstrikes, launching war without congressional authority. They don't have this authority. It's not an imminent threat. The Houthis were not attacking the U.S., they were preventing shipping toward Israel. They had, you know, this is not a defensive war by any means. And so not uh, informing con- Congress of this uh, is a violation of the Constitution. And we know Biden himself understands this, of course. He, there are some tweets going around from 2020 when he was in when 2021 when he was criticizing Trump from ha- for having gone to or, you know, potentially attacking Iran without going to Congress, saying that no president should do this without congressional approval. Um And this tweet that you read coming from Representative Rokhana is especially important because Rokhana, along with Senator Bernie Sanders, led the, you know, War Powers Act, War Powers Resolution, um, in Congress in 2019, when they directed Trump to end hostilities in Yemen. And at the time, essentially refueling Saudi ships and UAE, uh, refueling Saudi planes was considered an act of war that the president had no authority to go to use without congressional approval, let alone direct U.S. strikes like we're seeing right now um, without congressional approval. So, again, it's not defensive, even if President Biden chooses to frame it as a defensive war. This is an offensive act. This is um, a breach of Yemeni sovereignty. Multiple cities, multiple provinces were attacked last night. There are casualties. There are people who have been killed. We don't know how many yet. Um, And why escalate to such levels of violence when, you know, the ask was clear work towards a ceasefire, end the suffering of the Palestinian people. Um, And U.S. interests here are commercial. You know, this is a defense of capitalism in a sense as well. Um, And yet, we see President Biden resorting and Rishi Sunak resorting to such degree of violence and escalation instead of resorting to diplomacy and
0: ceasefire. And as we speak, we're showing live footage from Sana, the capital of Yemen. Um, thousands of people are rallying against the strikes. Shireen al Adimi, we want to thank you so much for being with us. Yemeni American assistant professor at Michigan State University speaking to us from East Lansing. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Today, Israel defended itself against accusations of genocide at the International Court of Justice in The Hague, in one of the biggest cases ever to come before the United Nations High Court. South Africa accused Israel of acts of genocide against Palestinians and demanded an emergency suspension of Israel's aerial and ground assault on Gaza. A decision on that request will probably take weeks, though the full case will likely last years. Israel often boycotts international tribunals and U.N. investigations, calling them unfair and biased. But this time, for the first time, they attended the hearing, sent a high-level legal team to defend against the accusations of genocide. The two-day hearings at what's called the Peace Palace in The Hague began Thursday, with South Africa laying out its case against Israel, saying its three-month assault on Gaza is being conducted with the intent to bring about the destruction of Palestinians as a group. Israel defended itself today against the accusations at the hearing. Israeli legal adviser Tal Becker criticized South Africa for accusing Israel of genocide.
1: The applicant has now sought to invoke this term in the context of Israel's conduct in a war it did not start and did not want. A war in which Israel is defending itself against Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and other terrorist organizations whose brutality knows no bounds. The applicant has regrettably put before the court a profoundly distorted factual and legal picture. The entirety of its case hinges on a deliberately curated, decontextualized, and manipulative description of the reality of current hostilities. South Africa purports to come to this court in the lofty position of a guardian of the interest of humanity. But in delegitimizing Israel's 75-year existence in its opening presentation yesterday, That broad commitment to humanity rang hollow, and in its sweeping counterfactual description of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, it seemed to erase both Jewish history and any Palestinian agency or responsibility.
0: For more, we go now to The Hague, where we're joined by Raji Sarani the award-winning human rights lawyer, director of the Palestinian Center for Human Rights in Gaza. He left Gaza in November after his home was bombed while he, his son, and his wife were in it. He's part of South Africa's legal team in its genocide case against Israel. Raji, we spoke to you at home before your home was bombed, when Islamic University was bombed right next door, then right after your home was bombed, then when you made it to Cairo, Egypt. Now you're standing at The Hague, where this historic hearing is taking place. Can you talk about the significance of it? You were there in uh, the Court of Justice when Israel said it is not committing genocide, and South Africa has no right to allege that. Can you respond? We hear the protests all around you, hundreds of pro-Palestinian marchers are there. uh, Hello? Raji, go ahead. Hello? Amy,
6: do you hear me? We
0: hear you perfectly.
6: A few days after. The Israeli attack on Gaza. Hello?
4: Hello?
0: Hello? Raji, we hear you perfectly. Just speak. We're going to go to a break, and then we'll come back. Uh, we're talking to Raji Sarani, um, well-known human rights lawyer, won the RFK Human Rights Prize years ago. We'll come back to him, standing outside The Hague, where hundreds of pro-Palestinian supporters are holding up Palestinian flags. Stay with us. Saeed by the Democratic Yemen Youth Union Band. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. An historic uh, trial, or rather, hearing is taking place at the International Court of Justice in The Hague. I want to turn to another clip of the Israeli legal advisor Tal Becker, who talked about the October 7th attack by Hamas, saying Israel had a right to defend itself.
1: First, that if there have been acts that may be characterized as genocidal, then they have been perpetrated against Israel. If there is a concern about the obligations of states under the Genocide Convention, then it is in relation to their responsibilities to act against Hamas's proudly declared agenda of annihilation, which is not a secret and is not in doubt. Astonishingly, the court has been requested to indicate a provisional measure calling on Israel to suspend its military operations. But this amounts to an attempt to deny Israel its ability to meet its obligations to the defense of its citizens, to the hostages, and to over 110,000 internally displaced Israelis unable to safely return to their homes. Madam President, Members of the Court, The hostilities between Israel and Hamas have exacted a terrible toll on both Israelis and Palestinians. But any genuine effort to understand the cause of this toll must take account of the horrendous reality created by Hamas within the Gaza Strip. Madam President, Members of the Court, The nightmarish environment created by Hamas has been concealed by the applicant, but it is the environment in which Israel is compelled to operate. Israel is committed, as it must be, to comply with the law, but it does so in the face of Hamas's utter contempt for the law. It is committed, as it must be, to demonstrate humanity. But it does so in the face of Hamas's utter inhumanity. It is respectfully submitted that the application and request should be dismissed for what they are, a libel designed to deny Israel the right to defend itself according to the law from the unprecedented terrorist onslaught it continues to face and to free the 100 and 136 hostages hamas still holds
0: we're joined now at the hague by diala shamas she's a senior staff attorney at the center for constitutional rights in november ccr sued president biden accusing him of failing to prevent genocide Jala, thank you so much for being with us. I know it's very noisy outside. There's a major pro-Palestinian rally outside the International Court of Justice. This is historic. This two days. Yesterday, South Africa accused Israel of genocide. Today, Israel defended itself. Can you talk about their major argument saying this is an existential battle? They are simply engaging in self-defense.
7: Thank you for having me. Um, Yes, it really is a historical moment, and and I would prefer to start with yesterday's argument um, and uh, just the significance of what we heard yesterday and what we saw yesterday and what all of these people that are um, here now, even over an hour after the hearings concluded, still chanting and, and protesting and thanking South Africa, the significance that... South Africa brought this petition and started um, at the outset of the hearing yesterday reminding the world and the court that um, the context is 75 years of apartheid. And of course, we all know um, South Africa and the South African people have emerged from a horrific uh, battle uh, against apartheid. Um, they know what abandonment by the international community uh, looks like and feels like, and, and it is in that spirit that they uh, have come to this court. Um, and also, were very clear in their statement that they have come to the court out of their legal and moral obligation, but their legal obligation to preve- to do something to prevent uh, the unfolding genocide against the Palestinian people. Uh, Today, we heard predictable arguments in response, um, nothing that we haven't already heard over the course of the last three months. And in many ways of what we've heard from the Israeli uh, legal uh, uh, wing for the last 20 years, um, leaning heavily on self-defense, although South Africa clearly yesterday and then today in a brief statement out the steps right here in front of me uh, reminded uh, the world that self-defense is never a justification for genocide or any atrocity, really. Uh, the, the other arguments, we, we heard a lot of um, it, more sort of factual disputes and gaslighting and cherry-picking and a lot of complaints that this everything is sort of uh, one-sided. Um, And and the the two other main legal arguments that they leveraged were essentially, first, that the court shouldn't have jurisdiction in the first place, that uh, South Africa hadn't followed the proper procedures, um, that they hadn't followed the appropriate protocols uh, of notice to be in the court in the first place. And the second is that South Africa, uh, the the, the relief that South Africa is is seeking, the uh, provisional measures, are are not something that the court is essentially permitted to grant you know citing uh, various arguments to, to, to make that point so you can't be here and then you can't do anything about it and in the middle everything we do is self-defense and complete deflection and never at any point addressing incredibly powerful arguments uh, laid out yesterday at a hearing for three hours um, by the South African legal team, the really compelling, factual, and legal arguments um, on on intent, um, laying out you know the the litany of statements by Israeli officials from the highest level of government all the way down to the foot soldiers, showing an environment and uh, uh, showing uh, it, intent to commit genocide in Gaza, and uh, everything else that was laid out. So it was it. it was really stark to sit today and listen to the arguments after a day yesterday where, frankly, for the first time um, in, you know, in the last three months, we've been able to hear uh, from beginning to end uninterrupted uh, a, a compelling case of what we've sort of all seen play out over the course of the last three months. The South African legal team noted that we've been watching this on uh, atrocities on our phones. We have been uh, seeing Palestinians broadcast their killing and their, the genocidal acts live um, and, and the South African legal team put that out to the world and to the court. Um, Dialla,
0: I want to turn to another clip from today's hearing. This is Deputy Attorney General of Israel, Gilad Nom, calling on the court to dismiss the charges.
3: This case concerns a large-scale armed conflict with tragic consequences for civilians on both sides. Yes, there is a heart-wrenching armed conflict, but the attempt to classify it as genocide and trigger provisional measures is not just unfounded in law. It has far-reaching and negative implications that extend well beyond the case before you. Ultimately, entertaining the applicant's request will not strengthen the commitment to prevent and punish genocide, but weaken it. It will turn an instrument adopted by the international community to prevent horrors of the kind that shocked the conscience of humanity during the Holocaust into a weapon in the hands of terrorist groups who have no regard for humanity or for the law. For us, provisional measures would lead to a perverse situation. It would effectively allow Hamas to continue attacking the citizens of Israel, to hold 136 hostages in unbearable conditions, to keep tens of thousands of displaced Israelis from returning to their homes, and essentially to promote its plan to massacre as many Israelis and Jews as it can.
0: Diala Shamas, you're standing outside The Hague. You watch this argument inside The Hague. It just concluded. Senior staff attorney at the Center for Constitutional Rights, your response. I can't hear you. Uh, Diala, I'm asking Hello? for your response as you sat inside The Hague, inside the International Court of Justice, your response to the arguments of Israel.
7: Yes, again, um, everything we expected, there were no new arguments raised by the Israeli legal team. Um, essentially, it amounted to, to them telling the court trust us. Don't believe what we've been telling the, the world, uh, what we have been uh, uh, putting out in all of our statements, uh, the statements that have circulated uh, clearly, you know, with genocidal intents, the saying we want to wipe out the population of Gaza, um, m- making, you know, comparisons of the famous uh, Amalek quote. Um, and they're just saying, well, we're not serious there. Um, the, just trust us that we are, uh, again, democracy with the rule of law, the, this is something that, this is a public image that the Israeli government has, you know, done a lot of work to cultivate over uh, decades, and that they do everything by the book. Um, and just don't look at the evidence, don't look at everything the South Africans laid out plainly yesterday don't look at everything the world has been seeing and just trust us that we have procedures that we are following here and you know, we're doing our best and plenty of, you know, sort of uh, concerns and it's hard to really figure out where where to start picking, but but a few really concerning statements about civilians essentially making the argument that civilians have become targets um, because the, the legal team repeatedly stated over the course of their arguments, that um, you know, that uh, that be- because Hamas is operating in Gaza, uh, and Israel, you know, has to do what it has to do, and that includes the targeting of civilians. Um, but again, fundamentally, the claim that's brought by South Africa here is the claim of genocide, which um, is you can't. There's simply no argument. That uh, self-defense is a justification for a genocide. The South African team has laid out the arguments showing intent and also the underlying acts, and uh, the 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 everything else is is essentially a distraction. Uh,
0: Diala, the Biden administration is due in federal court later this month. While Israel faces charges of genocide at The Hague yesterday and today, um, in a case you're working on with CCR, you're taking it right to President Biden. Explain the theory of your case and what exactly you expect to happen. And is there any connection between that case in a U.S. federal court and what we're seeing right now at the U.N.'s highest court, the World Court?
7: Um, Yes, I couldn't hear the full question, but I I think you're asking us about uh, the the case that the Center for Constitutional Rights has brought uh, against uh, President Biden, Secretary of State Blinken and Austin, and Secretary of Defense Austin in California Federal Court, um, raising failure uh, in their duty to prevent a genocide and complicity in genocide arguments. And that case has a hearing coming up on on February, um, I'm sorry, January 26th, um, where our team will be standing up in court um, uh, arguing uh, for a preliminary injunction, asking the court to order uh, the end of military assistance uh, and and other forms of assistance, political and diplomatic assistance to to Israel in light of uh, the unfolding genocide. The relationship is, you know having to stand up in court and defend that a few weeks after this hearing and possibly uh, also after the ICJ has issued preliminary measures um, is going to, you know, put this administration in a, uh, I think it'll be one of the first tests that we'll have of how how the U.S. government is responding to the ICJ, uh, an ICJ decision and to... Uh, the The arguments raised you know here and the arguments that we're also raising in uh, the the u s case, I think we're all going to be looking to how the world responds to any preliminary measures issued by the Court of justice. Um, it is uh, it, the, the as as uh, the South African attorney yesterday said, this is really ultimately a test of the very legitimacy of international law and the international legal order. Um, if, if we can't stop an unfolding genocide, then what is any of it for? Um, she made a compelling, you know, closing argument, uh, citing to a Palestinian, Munzer uh, Isa uh, who spoke uh, his sort of Christmas sermons asking the world where you know, what will you say where you were when a genocide was unfolding? And so whether it's at the ICJ or whether it's in federal court in the United States, um, we're really looking to governments to do everything that they can to uphold their duty to prevent an, an unfolding genocide. Um, and having our case in the U.S. is, of course, incredibly important because the U.S. is the biggest supporter Um of Israel. It's, uh, we, there's been investigative reporting showing how much military aid and military support um, has been indispensable to Israel's assault um, and war on Gaza. And yet we've also seen repeated statements of uh, unconditional support from the U.S. administration to the Israeli government, despite th- almost, uh, you know, despite three months of daily uh, Attacks on civilians and daily statements showing um, an intent to destroy the civilian population of Gaza in whole or in part. The Palestinian population.
0: Well, I want to thank you, Diala Shamas, senior staff attorney at the Center for Constitutional Rights. Again, in November, CCR sued President Biden, um, the Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, accusing them of failing to prevent. A genocide. Uh, For those who missed yesterday's show, it was just after South Africa made its case at the International Court of Justice. We wanted to bring you South Africa lawyer Adila Hassim, who helps to lay out South Africa's case at The Hague.
8: For the past 96 days, Israel has subjected Gaza to what has been described as one of the heaviest conventional bombing campaigns in the history of modern warfare. Palestinians in Gaza are being killed by Israeli weaponry and bombs from air, land, and sea. They are also at immediate risk of death by starvation, dehydration, and disease as a result of the ongoing siege by Israel the destruction of Palestinian towns, the insufficient aid being allowed through to the Palestinian population, and the impossibility of distributing this limited aid while bombs fall. This conduct renders essentials to life unobtainable.
0: That's South Africa lawyer, Adila Hassim, speaking yesterday before the International Court of Justice, laying out South Africa's case against Israel, saying it's engaged in genocide in Gaza. To see excerpts of yesterday, you can go to democracynow.org. When we come back, we're going to speak with an Israeli Jewish Knesset member who's facing expulsion for saying what Israel's doing in Gaza is genocide. This is Democracy Now!, back in a minute. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. As we continue to uh, bring you response to the two days of... Um, The International Court of Justice, the historic hearing. Yesterday, South Africa presented its case against Israel, saying what it's engaged in in Gaza is genocide. Today, Israel defended itself and said they are simply engaging in self-defense. We're going to turn right now to Ronald Lamola, who is the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services of South Africa. He's part of the South African legal delegation. He responded to what Israel said.
5: The state of Israel today has failed to disprove South Africa's compelling case that was presented before the court yesterday. We stand by the facts, the law, and all the evidence we have submitted yesterday. And we believe and stand very confident that those facts, the law, still are in violation of the Genocide Convention under the genocide convention nothing justify genocidal acts currently being committed by israel self-defense is no answer to genocide nothing can ever justify genocide there is no balancing exercise as israel has sought to suggest the prohibition is absolute it is primitive rule of law no matter what some individual within the group of palestine and gaza may have done. And no matter how great the threat to Israel citizens might be, genocidal attacks on the whole of Gaza and the whole of its population with the intent of destroying them cannot be justified at all.
0: That was Ronald Lamola, Minister of Justice of South Africa, speaking outside The Hague. We end today's show with an Israeli lawmaker who is backing South Africa's genocide case against Israel even as he faces expulsion from the Israeli Knesset. The Israeli newspaper Haaretz is reporting 70 lawmakers in the Knesset have signed a motion to expel Oferkasi from the legislative body after he signed a petition supporting the case against Israel at the International Court of Justice. Olaf Kassif is a Jewish lawmaker for the Arab-Jewish Hadash Tal coalition. He denounced the move to expel him, pointing out no action has been taken against lawmakers who've called for the complete destruction of Gaza or back the removal of all Palestinians from Gaza. He's also been critical of the potential criminal negligence of the Israeli government on October 7th, he says. Ofer Kassif, welcome back to Democracy Now! Thank you for joining us from Jerusalem. Can you talk about what's happening to you in the Israeli Knesset where you serve?
6: Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. And uh, it's very important for me, first of all, to emphasize that uh, I am not against Israel or anti-Israeli. I'm against the government of Israel because the government of Israel is at the moment the most dangerous and uh, to the Israeli society and to the Israelis. So my uh, signature in uh, support of the South African appeal to the ICJ is not against Israel, it's for Israel and against the Israeli government and its policies. I've been saying that, uh, first of all, already 85 members of the Knesset signed on this. Allow me just very, very uh, uh, briefly to explain the process of expulsion, of impeachment of members of the Knesset. It is based on a law that was enacted on 2016, which is an undemocratic law, because, of course, it allows tyranny of the majority. It allows the majority to persecute and suppress not only the freedom of speech, but the very existence of a member of the Knesset as such. Uh, that belongs to the minority and once you know, ideas are not uh, exactly accepted or popular. But now, uh, the process of uh, impeachment uh, goes as follows. There's a need of a minimum of 70 members of the Knesset out of 120 to sign a motion that requests to expel A member of the Knesset, then if there is that number, if that number is achieved, it goes to the Knesset uh, uh, committee in which 75% of the members are needed to vote for the impeachment in order to go through to the assembly. And once it goes to the assembly, if 90 out of 120 vote for it, then the member of the Knesset after 14 days is Expelled with the option, of course, to appeal to the Supreme Court. And that we are now on between the first and the second stage. 85 signatures were all, already collected. And not in the coming week, the week after, next Monday, 22nd of January, I'm uh, about to face the Knesset committee towards my impeachment.
0: So, talk about their arguments. What some have said—your support for the South Africa case indirectly aligns with goals of Hamas and the attack on October seventh. There were allegations by the Israeli um, members in The Hague today that South Africa is serving as the political wing of Hamas. Your response to all of this? And what it means to you to talk as a Jewish member, an Israeli member of Knesset, being critical of the Israeli government and what they're doing right now in Gaza, calling it a genocide.
6: First of all, I'm very proud of my views and beliefs and of my friends and comrades' views and beliefs and our activities, because we are the only ones who totally reject any kind of violence, accusing us in uh, supporting, implicitly or otherwise, the terrible carnage committed by Hamas on 7th of October is not only a sheer lie that they are aware of, but it is also incitement because they know perfectly well, I personally and my colleagues, we published time and time again in the last 100 days since the massacre committed by Hamas took place. We published every. I think that I said that to you also in our, one of our former interviews, that we are totally against, we totally condemn the terrible crime against humanity and war crime, this massacre and the, uh, and the atrocities committed by Hamas. We are totally against it, accusing me in supporting it. One way or another, this is a sheer lie, incitement that has nothing to do with reality. But they want to silence us. They want me and my friends to shut up. They don't want us to raise our voice against any kind of violence. Because as I said a million times, as someone who continuously for years objected and opposed the Israeli occupation and siege against the Palestinian people, we said, I said explicitly that even the crimes of the siege and the occupation cannot and will never justify the massacre committed by Hamas. We added that the massacre, the criminal massacre by Hamas cannot justify the massacre and assault of Israel on Gaza in which around 30,000 people are already dead, were killed. The vast majority, more than 70% are innocent civilians, around 10,000 children. So raising voice against those things Supporting investigation of, the, of those things. And please bear in mind that in the petition that I signed on, there's no a categorical statement let alone by me that Israel is guilty in genocide. It does say that it deserves an investigation, impartial investigation. And the government of Israel, or one or another branches of the government of Israel, cannot pursue an impartial investigation. It's as if we were asking a thief to investigate oneself if he did steal something or not. That doesn't make any sense. That's the, one of the main things in supporting the appeal by South Africa, to investigate. On top of that, we've been against the war from the beginning because we are against bloodshed. We know that the bloodshed and the terrible assault on Gaza, apart from being in itself criminal and deadly, by definition, it won't bring security to no one, especially not to the Israelis. We want the bloodshed to stop. We want the war to end for the sake of lives of Palestinians and Israelis alike. Oh, for thousands and thousands of Palestinians, just one sentence, please. It's not only the mass that make so many Palestinians, thousands of Palestinians who are killed, Israeli soldiers are killed, the hostages are at risk. Because we, the government doesn't do anything we have to, to leave it, it there them. because our He's show is ending.
0: Ofer Kasif, Jewish member of the Israeli Knesset facing expulsion. That does it for our show. A deeply fond farewell to our video um, fellow Sanji Lopez. You will remain in our hearts and our DNA. Democracy Now Alumni. I am Amy Goodman. Thanks for joining us.